Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. To the Stardom Cast, your weekly audio source of all things World Wonder Ring Stardom. I'm your host, Rob Good, and I'm joined as ever by Matt Turner. Matt, Merry Christmas. How was Christmas in the States? Merry Christmas, Rob, and to everybody listening. Uh, happy holidays. Christmas is, is always a great time for, uh, for us. It's good to be around family. Uh, I get along with pretty much everybody. I'm not going to say pretty much everybody in my family. I think part of that is because I'm just a people person and I am the ultimate baby face. But one of the coolest <laughs> things about Christmas, one of the coolest things about Christmas was the first gift I opened when I opened it, it was a picture of your fellow countryman. Uh, the one and only, the true greatest of all time, the one and only Ozzy Osbourne. Oh. Uh, my wife got me his, yeah, my wife got me uh, his autobiography, which I didn't even know was out, but I guess it came out like four years ago. So that goes to show you what I know. I said, how about that? The first thing I opened, literally I opened it right where his face is on the cover. And that's how you know it's going to be a good Christmas when the first thing looking at you at 7 o'clock in the morning is the Prince of Darkness himself. <laughs> yeah, nothing quite says Merry Christmas <laughs> like uh, Black Sabbath's lead singer, does it really? <laughs> Absolutely. I am, I, I am a ginormous uh, Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath fan there. As far as like, you know, bands and groups goes, they are number one with a, with a bullet. So wow. that, was, uh, that was a nice. And I, I kind of got through maybe the first 20, 21 pages because uh, – I had a lot of stardom to watch, so and, I'm, and that's that's why we're here. We're here to uh, talk about stardom, and obviously, you know, we have the Patreon coming up, so there was a lot of good stuff that I know that I've watched over the past two days, and I'm sure uh, same with you as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, considering since the 18th of December, stardom have only run three shows, it feels like it's been a jam-packed end of the year for the company. I mean, you know just the year-end climax and the Dream Queendom, which obviously aired yesterday, just that it felt huge that the dream queendom show it felt like wrestlemania it you know i didn't think anything would come close to feeling like the all-star dream cinderella at budokan show but the build-up to that show and everything it was just all consuming and then obviously i tried to watch the show live i managed two matches um and then i fell asleep again but um i've finished watching the show obviously today and i've managed to avoid spoilers 
I haven't got a clue. Congratulations. How, I don't know how I managed it. I've pretty much not been on Twitter at all. The only time I've been on Twitter was to put on our uh, Twitter page. We're recording today. Would you like to ask any questions? Then quickly shut the app down because I was like, I can't, I can't. Um, and in fact, the only spoiler I had going into this show, going into the Dream Queendom show, was that, um, I don't know about you, Matt, but obviously we both bought the pay-per-view. The pay-per-view stream was absolutely awful. Um, really, really bad. Like I paused it to, I think, to going out of Lemsip or a drink or something, came back, pressed play, and it jumped to live and then back to where it was where it was that I paused it. And it was a picture of Hannon with the future belt and the trophy. So I was like, oh, okay, well, that's that match ruined. Um, but apart from that, I managed to avoid all the spoilers. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking about all things Dream Queendom, all thing the year-end climax. We'll be talking a little bit about our end-of-year awards, a little bit about our Patreon. It's going to be a good end of 2021 episode. But before we delve in, Matt, what sort of plans have you got for your new year? New year, as we record this, this is the 30th, so New Year's will be tomorrow. I'm not really sure, outside of comic books and wrestling, one of my favorite things to indulge upon is uh, the Twilight Zone. And every year since I was probably in high school, the Sci-Fi Network always does a New Year's marathon. So I'll probably get up and go to the gym like I always do just to get that out of the way. I'll watch a whole bunch of Twilight Zone episodes. I believe we're recording a uh, special episode tomorrow. Uh, obviously, card subject to change. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we <laughs> as we say in the wrestling business. So, um, you know, we have, we have that going on. And then, I don't know, you know, as you get older, you really don't. I mean, I'm in my young 20s. I mean, you're going all out. You're literally drinking at home starting at 9 o'clock. Obviously, it's smart to have a DD. And please, if you're going out, please have a DD or an Uber or a Lyft or whatever. But I remember just, you know, 21, 22, 23 you know, you're going out and next thing you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and you can't feel your feet. So uh, <laughs> uh, those days are long gone and, you know, kind of thank God for that. So uh, probably not much. Probably me and Amber, my wife will probably just uh, maybe go somewhere out for dinner. Not really sure. Uh, usually what's been happening the last three or four years is she'll fall asleep around 10 o'clock and then I will wake her up at 1155 just to watch the ball drop. We'll kiss at midnight and then by 1205 we're in bed. By about 1207 we're both asleep. So that's that's how wild it gets at the Turner household uh, on New Year's Eve. <laughs> it's a rock and roll New Year, isn't it? <laughs> Look out for I, you know, I was just telling the story to one of my buddies at the gym, actually just today, and we were talking about you know what, doing crazy stuff in your young 20s. And I remember when I was 21, I remember I was at this crazy party my, uh, my buddies were throwing. And uh, me and my old roommate, before I got married and moved where I moved, we were playing beer pong. And we were we were like cleaning the table and we're playing beer pong and we're doing shots of tequila. Those days are long gone. We're doing shots of tequila, <laughs> drinking beers, playing beer pong. Next thing I know, I kind of finally asked somebody. I said, "Hey, I said, you know, when's how how much longer do we have until the ball drops?" And then a buddy of mine that I went to high school with, she looked at me and she said, "It's quarter to three. <laughs> we call that we call we call that time traveling, folks. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was like eleven, eleven thirty. I'm like, are we close? Like, yeah, it's almost three a.m., buddy. <laughs> We're actually closer to next year than we are than we are this yeah. year. Um, yeah, yeah. How about you, Rob? What, what do you got going on, buddy? Anything good? Literally isolation. Um, I don't. <laughs> it's uh, it's been an interesting Christmas this year. Uh, my girlfriend decided she loved me that much. She wanted to give me COVID. Um, so I've been like I say in and out of bed and in and out of sleep. So uh, we're both still isolating when it comes to uh, to New Year. So we'll be uh, I don't know 
sticking a film on, maybe having an Indian takeaway if we can find an Indian that will just drop it off at the door. And then, yeah, probably much as I've just marked you for your rock and roll new year, I imagine that we will be up till 12 and then in bed at 12.01, which quite honestly at the moment sounds like the greatest thing in the history of the world. And I've never felt older for saying that. Um, But yeah, if I I sound a bit throaty and a bit, um, of course, it's because of uh, the good old covid that we've got going around at the moment so uh i apologize for that um anyway let's uh enough with covid let's let's start talking about stardom it's been a fantastic couple of days for the company obviously we're on the back of Momo watanabe's turn on queen's quest and that was what the year-end climax was really built around um because this year you know usually obviously as the name entails the year-end climax is the last show um, but this year we had a slight, you know, the slightly big thing of Sumo Hall to do. So we didn't have any title matches or anything like that, but it was still a really good show, wasn't it, Matt? Yeah, it really was. And I know when we did the podcast last week, you said they sold out. Um, they sold out the show, like literally within like hours and based off just the Momo heel turn and the main event. And there was only five matches and it went by quick. Everything kind of made sense. I was a little, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it. I was a little head scratchy at the uh, the finish of the main event, but I think I understand uh, where they're going, why they're going. But yeah, it was a it was a fantastic show, and that's what's great about Stardom. These kind of smaller road two shows, as we kind of uh, entail them, they go by really fast. I mean, they get everybody on the card. Everybody needs to get in what they get in, and uh, you know, you really get your money's worth out of them. It's not these long, drawn out three and a half, four hour shows where it's like you're only there's maybe you know, an hour of, of good wrestling. I mean, everything clicked, everything flowed real well. And, uh, you know, it, it basically really built up for the, the show on the 29th. Yeah, absolutely. To be perfectly honest, I mean, match-wise, the only matches that you need to go out of your way to watch it, the main event and uh, Konami's tag match with Suri, those two matches are in-ring, by far the best matches. But then if you're looking at storyline progression, obviously you want to watch the Stars and Cosmic Angels match, which we'll be talking about in a minute. The three-way opener is is fine. Um, and then, obviously, Lady C chalking up yet another victory. She's unstoppable now, Matt. Just reeling in those wins, reeling them in. Three wins she's got now this year. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, but let's go into this show in a little bit more detail. So we are talking about the year-end climax 2021 from Christmas Day. Corican Hall, and as Matt mentioned, they did sell out the venue. 725 people in attendance the second time that they've drawn 725. The first time being the Goddess of Stardom Tag League final. Uh, we open with a three-way match with Hannon defeating Mina Shirakawa and Fukigan Death with a rolling clutch in six minutes and 49 seconds. Um, There's a very... There was a very laid-back feel to this opener, Matt. I feel like that's the the nicest way to describe it. It didn't feel like anything was at stake. It felt like a nice, Christmassy, almost comedy opener. Yeah, like literally the first two matches, I literally have no notes, uh, yeah, no no notes written down. So yeah, you kind of hit. There wasn't anything bad about it. It wasn't like oh, this was terrible. But at the same time, it's not something I would go out of my way to see. It was kind of like hey, it was there. It was there to get the crowd warmed up. And uh, there to give Hannah a win for her uh, for a big match coming up, you know, at the at the Queendom show. Absolutely. To be perfectly honest, this the main thing in this match that you need to see is Mina attempting to do Merry Christmas and Death just standing in front of her constantly. 
apart from that and death going on her stereotypical newspaper rampages, there's there's very little to uh, to talk about in this match. The second match, though, Himika and Lady C defeating the Uiditai team of Ruwaka and Rina with a lariat in 8 minutes and 44 seconds. Again, like I mentioned, Lady C with her third victory of the year, Matt. And she looked really good again. Yeah, not only that, but I mean, I had, you know, I know we're doing our year end of the awards pretty soon. I had to uh, scratch off my number one and put Lady C on there. I'm totally just kidding. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, this is what stardom is all about. Obviously, you know, we talk in nausea and we're going to about how heavy the main event scene is. And I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger going to 22. But they do a good job showcasing other talent and they're giving Lady C a spotlight. Um, she's had, Again, she's had a ton of matches. You know, she gets a win here. Uh, we don't know kind of where that gets kind of, you know, and there's, there's kind of like a mystery to her going to 22. It's like, where is she going to go? Where is she going to go? All things are pointing to Donald Del Mundo. But if you watch wrestling for any more than two years of your life, you know, there swerves are abound. So that's kind of, a, you know, another interesting thing that Stardom has going into 22 is, is where is she going to go as far as the, what, what faction? And I think as well, when you consider the revelations of the next match, it could be, it you know it might not be cut and dry that it's going to be Donna Del Mondo. I know we've speculated, but when we talk about that, we'll uh, we'll re-speculate. Um, I think it's interesting that today, it, well, this day, the twenty fifth of December, it was the fourth anniversary of uh, Himika as a pro wrestler. Uh, she debuted in two thousand seventeen on Christmas Eve against Miku Aono for Act Res Girls at Shinkiba First Ring. So that's a nice little, uh, a nice little nugget of information. Obviously, she got the win as well. But aside from Lady C getting her win, there's not a great deal to talk about in this match. It's your standard tag match. Our first match we're going to talk about in a little bit of detail then is the six-woman tag team match that followed with the Stars team of Mayu Iwatani, Hazuki and Kaguma defeating the Cosmic Angels team of Tam Nakano, Wakasukiyama and Mei Sakurai with the diving body splash in 11 minutes and 32 seconds. I think perhaps the most important thing to come out of this match um, is Waka. Uh, as endearing a baby face as she is, as lovely a person as she seems to be, and improving as the ring, improving in the ring as she is, she can't dance, can she? No, not. And maybe it has something to do with the <laughs> fact that everybody else in that group is so good. I guess, I guess Tam used to be an idol, um, you know, from kind of what I understand. Uh, so, but yeah, you're, you're right. But everybody else is uh, is pretty good in the in the dance routine as well. But I, I'm going to get my only negative out of the way when it comes to these six-woman tag matches with uh, Mayu, Kaguma, and Hazuki. Uh, my only negative comment is there's not enough Mayu. They could put her in there for 20 minutes and still it's not enough. So uh, I'm just going to beat that drum to death. So not enough <laughs> Mayu in this not enough Mayu time in this match. But I thought this match was, was really solid um, as far as everybody looked good. I mean, you have really, uh, obviously, the Stars team. I wouldn't be shocked if you see that team hold the, uh, the artist of stardom. Uh, belt some somewhere in the you know by by the spring i mean that would be that would be uh, kind of a good way to really uh put the rocket ship on those belts but again there was another i thought the best thing in this match was there's another really good tam and mayu exchange and i really hope that they revisit that feud somewhere down the future because i really really want to see that matchup again absolutely completely agree um throw hazuki in there as well and you've got three or two singles matches that i will be absolutely made up to see um i this is honestly the most convinced i've ever been of wacker may they both looked 
far more comfortable and solid uh, for being in the ring with Tam. I think, especially at the moment, those two benefit from being surrounded by in-ring talent as opposed to being sort of the deer in the headlights of a singles setting, Um, especially May, um, who I think over the last two shows really, really, really benefited from being with other people and sort of having that guiding light. Um, But again, for me, I know you mentioned Tam and Mayu and, you know, who wouldn't want to see that, especially given the history. It's Tam and Hazuki for me. Honestly, just the the speed at which Hazuki is working, considering she's had two years away from the ring. I mean, it's got to be up there with her work before she left. And I know that she was on almost a different plane before, obviously, all the, the controversy kicked off with her and Kagetsu. Honestly, I think she looked tremendous again. And hopefully we are going to see a white belt challenge from Hazuki soon. And I know this is the same with you and your Mayu drum. I am going to continue to beat this drum because I want to see Hazuki in that tile picture because that's where she belongs and that's where she needs to be. Um, And obviously I'm not going to spoil what happens in the um, semi-main of Queen Drum, but if you're you're listening to this, you probably already know the result. But we'll talk a little bit about that when when we get to that. Um, Aside from the in-ring stuff, um, the other big thing to come from this match was the return of the masked assailants uh but this time they've multiplied even further and we now have three um the attackers four stars out of the ring and then set about attacking cosmic angels and one of them takes a sledgehammer to tam is it triple h no mayu and uh, tambo supercate the third momo and it is julia um <laughs> I don't know what your reaction was when you saw this, Matt, but uh, I imagine it was a, what the fuck? Yeah, literally, I woke up the next morning and uh, I w- you know, went on Twitter to go see the results. And the first thing I saw was the result of the main event, which we'll get to a minute. And I kind of scratched my head and then thought about it. And, I, you know, again, we'll get to that. But I was like, huh, well, we didn't, we literally over the past two or three weeks have come up with every scenario as to the fact that, Maybe it's EO and Kari. Maybe it's this person. Maybe you know, to everything where it's like Stephanie McMahon and, and Bertha Fay. Just about every scenario we've come up with. But we, did, we didn't see that it's Julia. And then Julia said that uh, she's bringing them into Donald Del Mundo. So I kind of have a theory, and we'll get into that when we talk about her match with Konami on the, uh, the, the Wrestle Queendom show. I kind of have a far-out theory, just considering the fact that I don't think anybody, anybody really saw this. But again, this is another mystery that we're kind of like, well, you know, who can possibly be these two people that uh, that she has? I mean, Donald Del Mundo already has uh, five members, and now that we're going to go up to seven, which I think is, I think that's just too much. I think if you have four or five, I, I think like five is kind of the cutoff. Now I understand that we the tie why they have eighty four members because <laughs> they're the big heel faction and it's kind of strength in numbers and it's easy to get crowd heat. But I think once you get past five, I think that's a little bit too much. And now they're going to have you know they're going to have seven, so. Uh, well, I guess, again, you, you know, we'll sit back and see what happens. I think there is going to be some sort of storyline heading into this. I do agree. I think that's too much, but it wouldn't surprise me if this, you know, causes a storyline in Donna Del Mondo closer, close to the middle of next year. Um, there, were, there was a great intense stare down at this point uh, between Julia and Tam. Uh, obviously, Julia having just said... Um, that May and Wacker referred to them as those crappy newcomers, uh, which I thought was harsh. But um, they were having a that's real... Around, that's, 
especially on Christmas. That's just mean. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> just just abysmal. But on top of that, you then got this stare down uh, between Tam and Julie, which they were clearly intending to be really fiery and you know rekindling that feud that was so good at the start of this year and early last year yet it was being played out with Kaguma's infectiously happy music in the background, and I just couldn't take it seriously because you'd got Tam and Julia with these proper dark scowls on their faces, and then Kaguma's music, which is just relentlessly happy. I was like, you could have chosen anything to put there. Just don't play music. What are you doing? Yeah, don't. Yeah, just cut the music off. <laughs> just cut the music off. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you 100%. Um it's it's a it's a twist that i didn't think anyone saw coming and what it means for the remainder of donna del mundo what their thoughts are on this influx of new blood whether we're gonna see you know a civil war which fingers crossed will be played out better than the bullet club one a couple of years ago it's gonna bring out a very interesting dynamic heading into the new year that's for sure whatever comes um and obviously announced for the 3rd of January show um, is the reveal of the two Momos. And it's Julia, Momo 1 and Momo 2, against um, the Cosmic Angels team of Yunagi, Tam and Mei Sakurai. So we haven't got long to wait to find out who those uh, be-masked Momos are. So I'll look forward to that. Um, we then moved on to the semi-main, which was a tag team match between uh, the team of Suri and Konami, who defeated the team of Yunagi Saka and Maika with the White Tiger in a shade over 14 minutes. Um, this was this was just nice and cathartic. To have Konami teaming with a mentor, Suri, um, you know, both Maika and Yunagi had requested matches with Konami, but they'd been forced to form an unlikely pairing when Konami said she wanted to team with Suri. It was just, it was a nice tag team match. And genuinely, despite their unlikely partnership, I found the chemistry between you, Nagi and Micah, genuinely quite funny. Yeah, it was kind of, you saw like Siri and Konami as much as their killers. They came in the ring in the Christmas spirit, just happy that they were teaming. And the Unagi and Micah didn't really look like they kind of wanted to be, they wanted to be there because they wanted to be in the ring with Konami, but they didn't want to be, you know, with each other. But as the match was going, they became the ultimate odd couple. And uh, I, I think this will be a one-off. I don't, th- I don't see anything else really into the future of them tagging up, especially the fact that both in different factions. But I thought it was kind of, you know, it's always nice to have something a little bit different. <laughs> this was definitely something different. I thought the match was fantastic. Yunagi, every time we, you know, we talk about it, every time on this podcast, she constantly gets better and better, especially her strikes get stiffer and stiffer. And they had to be. Obviously, she's the smallest person in the match, and she's up against two two killers. So her strikes had to be crisp. They had to be in there. And she really, really... uh later stuff in there and i would really like to see once konami comes back a nice you know 12 15 minute match with yunagi and konami just because she's just getting so much better but uh, i thought this was yeah it was a really really solid and entertaining match yeah absolutely the just getting back to the dynamic between yunagi and uh, micah it reminded me very much of that simpsons gif where you've got martin dancing around nelson months um especially that pre-match promo where Yunagi refers to herself as the freak that flies through space, and you can literally see Micah's face go, oh, for fuck's sake. <sighs> and I she just she really leaves. do that. Like, <laughs> she just... almost to the, yeah, it's almost to the point where Yunagi told Micah backstage where he's like, I'm going to say this, and she's like, you better not. She's like, no, I'm going to say it. It's part of my, my new gimmick going into 22. I'm going to say it. She's like, you better not. Like, no, I'm going to say it. <laughs> like, all right, all right. And then she's like, all right, all right. You know, Micah, 
because it's going to bother you, I won't say it. And then 15 seconds later, she says it. It was when she was taunting her about saying Merry Christmas. And then Mike is like, I'm not going to say Merry Christmas and walks off. And Yunagi's on her own in a really petulant way and just went, ah, you said it. It was such like, it was like, what is this? But it was she's so entertaining. Yeah. She's so entertaining. Like, as much as she's getting better in the ring, and she is, it's like all the little things she does, like outside the ring or in promos or. Even Mean is like that as well. It's like, boy, these two have come a long way since they were just, you know, as we called them on the podcast a few weeks ago, Tam and Friends. They really, (laughs) not only their ring stuff, but they're just so damn entertaining in their interviews and the stuff they do on social media. (laughs) They're just, I don't know, they just seem like the type of people that'd be fun to be around. Absolutely. She's she's just relentlessly charismatic, which is something she's always had going for her. Um, she has always had that, you know, that charisma, that confidence, which has helped. Um, but she was always like now, especially earlier on in the year, by having a very limited moveset. But now that's sort of, you know, we're moving out of that and we're seeing the adaptable offense and things like that. I think, you know, next year it's, it's going to be the sky's the limit. And, you know, she is a dark horse pick for that Cinderella tournament. So... As for the match itself, I thought this would, if this had have been Konami's final match, this would have been a lovely little touch, a lovely little test. Like, there's some beautiful moments before the bell even rings. I mean, both Unagi and Micah coming out in Never Ends t-shirts. Um, Micah walking stoically to the ring, only for Unagi to run at her and put a Santa headband on her and then run away giggling. Um and then you've got the whole Konami um, coming out and Suri, who Konami gets to the ring first and Suri comes out. Himika looks to open the ropes for her and Konami pushes her away because she wants to be the one to open the ropes for Suri. And then that's reversed when the match finishes. I just thought that was really, really nice. And there was lots and lots of nice little moments throughout this match. Um, obviously, this isn't Konami's last match and boy, howdy, we'll be talking about that very shortly. But this was a really, really nice send-off uh, from Corrigan Hall to Konami. A thoroughly enjoyable match. Probably one of my favourite tag matches of the year. Um, but overall, really good. And, you know, to piggyback on what you said about Unagi, because, you know, I have been guilty of ragging on Unagi a little bit because I did find her extremely annoying to start off with. Um, she did hold her own in a match that also contained Micah, Suri and Konami, three of the big hitters in stardom, like you mentioned. So... She didn't look out of place, and I think that's only going to, you know, that's only going to help her further down the line. So, overall, a really, really good match. Um, but the main event of this was, and I love that this was uh, packaged on Stardom World as just Black Peach enters, or something like that, or the introduction of Black Peach, um, which, of course, Black Peach is uh, Momo Watanabe's new, uh, new nickname. As we see the Awidatai team of Momo Watanabe, Starlight Kid, and Saki Kashima defeating the Queen's Quest team of Sai Kamatani, Yutami Hayashishita, and Azumi in 19 minutes and 34 seconds, with Saki getting the pinfall with the Kishkasai over Azumi. Um, Matt, I know you had a couple of issues with this, namely the finish. Yeah, well, I did. Well, if you're looking at the six of these, all of them are fantastic, don't get me wrong, but if you're going to line them up one to six, I think, and you were to pull 10 people that watch Stardom regularly, I think nine, if not 10, would have Saki at number six. And then not only that, so she gets the win in this 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 match, big match, obviously, because it's Momo's coming out party as, uh, as the, you know, the Black Peach. 
So we kind of figured, okay, Momo's got to get the win. Or they could have flipped it. Maybe they could have had Saya or Utami pin Pinsaki just to, you know, give them a little more momentum going into, you know, the main event or the co-main event of Wrestle Queendom. But I kind of didn't understand. Again, I was like, when I first read the result, I was like, that literally makes no sense whatsoever. And then I kind of thought about it more, and I kind of briefed on it uh, last show when we talked about um, going into Wrestle Queendom that, well, Saya, we think Saya is going to win the belt. Um, and again, we'll get into that in a little bit. And but but when they did the elimination match uh, the week, uh, you know, few days before, Saki actually pinned Saya, so she could hang her hat on that, saying, "Well, I deserve a shot at the white belt." So maybe that's where they're going with it. It's like, well, I pinned Saya in the Captain's Fall match. I pinned her in the the six man tag on uh, on Christmas Eve. I'm sorry, Christmas Day. So maybe that's where they're going to hang her hat on that they're going to make her a challenger somewhere in the next four or five weeks for Saya's belt. That's the only thing I could think of. And obviously the finish had a Momo with a big head kick that led into the, uh, the cradle from Saki. So that's the, really the only thing that I could think of. I'm like, well, if that's where they're going with it, that makes sense. Uh, obviously there's a post-match promo uh, on Wrestle Queendom uh, after uh, Saya's match, which I kind of figured, okay, if they're going to do it, it should have been Saki. Again, we'll get into that later. But maybe that's where they're going with it. That's the only reason why I can see Saki getting the fall here is because she pinned Saya the week before, and then she uh, she got a fall here. Maybe they're just going to give her just a little bit of a push towards that white belt. Yeah, it, it, it was a bit strange that they've just done this huge turn for Momo and she didn't get the winning pinfall here. Um, I feel like it was the the stage was set for her to get the pinfall over Azumi, um, especially with you know the history that those two have together and it being Momo that turned on Azumi specifically. Um, but the match itself was really, really good. Um, I think heel Momo just feels right. Her stoic personality lends her lends itself to her being a heel. You know, she hasn't got to pretend like, you know, she's playing to the crowd or anything like that. She can be that dick and it work with her character. There's there's a couple of moments in this match which they executed perfectly. Um, you know, the the moment where Azumi is going to come off the ropes and Momo grabs a hand and sort and they sort of look into each other's eyes for a minute and then Momo belts her in the head. And it's it was a great... Because we've got to remember that Azumi is still quite naive. She's 18. She's had a friend turn on her. And to have that second where she thinks, oh, Momo's coming back. And then to have her kicked in the head again, brilliant. Playing on that naivety was fantastic. And then you've got the golden trigger where Azumi watches as her old best friend teams with her new best friend, and they both kick her in the head. It was it was brilliant. Momo and the person who pulled all the strings in Starlight Kid both kneeing Azumi in the face. I loved it. I loved those two minutes, particularly because it played on the storyline that they've been going towards. Would it have been nice for Momo to get the win? Absolutely. Do I... Not like the fact that Saki got the pin. No. I mean, it is weird. She's got one of the lowest win percentages in the company at the moment. Um, apart from in Six Womans, where apparently she's one of the best. So I suppose they're keeping on brand there. But I just feel like it would have made sense. And even if it didn't make sense here, it definitely would have made sense at Queendom. But we'll talk about Queendom very, very shortly. Um, apart from that, though, Matt, in ring, there's nothing bad I can say about this. Yeah, stellar. Even how it started, it started where, where where Queen's Quest didn't want to get out of the ring, and then 
Momo was like, no, 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 me and Azumi to start, me and Azumi to start, and eventually Sai and Yutami get out of the ring, and as soon as they turn their backs, Momo has Saki and Starlight Kid come in, and they do a quick three-on-one jump on Azumi, and I said, well, that's a good way to start Momo's uh, heel run, is just have it really jerk, oh, no, you can trust me, you can trust me, and as soon as they turn the back, it's a quick three-on-one beatdown, so I thought that was <laughs> that was a really good heel way for uh, for that match to start, but yeah, most of the match just built around Momo and Azumi. Um, I thought, you know, obviously that's where that's somewhere where they're going, but yeah, again, it kind of just crashed. We kind of figured, we kind of laid out the plan over the last podcast or two where we thought they were going with Momo and like everything kind of made sense. I know a lot of people agreed with us and then kind of just what happened here and some of the booking on the, the 29th, uh, which we're going about to get into kind of scratching, scratching our heads to see what they're going to do, but it's, it's going to be exciting to watch regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with the, the Momo Watanabe direction. Um, because it seemed it seemed like they had somewhat of a home run with the direction they'd give her in the early part of 2022, and they seemed to be going in a completely different direction that they seemed to be trying to manufacture, which to me doesn't make a lot of sense because you had that organic direction that's already layered with a lot of emotion. Um, but again, you know, we haven't got 2020 vision. Uh, we haven't got a crystal ball, so we don't know what... Uh, we don't know where they're going with that. So we'll uh, we'll look on and give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, we'll move on because, let's face it, we know why you're here. We know why you're listening. It's to hear our reviews of Dream Queendom 2021. Um, it was from December the 29th, 2021 from Sumo Hall in Tokyo with an attendance of 3,039 people falling just short of the Budokan show and the second highest attendance of the year um a little bit of trivia before we start matt let's see how well you know your stardom and Uh well (laughs) i've said this it could be horrendously wrong if it is i apologize but from what i can see there are four people four competitors on this show dream queendom that were also on the stardom show in 2013 the last time stardom ran sumo hall now two of them on Mayu and Takumi Aroha. Um, that was sort of played into their video package. Can you name the two others? Lady C. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say what uh, Azumi Koguma? No. Okay, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> I heard the paper turn. I was like, yeah, he's going through the go. roster. <laughs> and I'm going through it real quick. Because um, I know, I mean, obviously they started when they were young. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I give up. <laughs> okay. Fuki can death, or she was Kaori Yoniyama at that point. And Suri. Oh, I would have got, I think Suri, I eventually, I kind of would have gotten after maybe about eight guesses, but Fuki and death would have been literally right. I, I was actually going to say her as my joke, but I'm like, oh, lady sees the joke for jokes. <laughs> and I, I, I would have been right. How about that? Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It was it was Kaori Oniyama, but uh, yes, Yuri, who wasn't wrestling for the company, it was more an amalgamation of companies because Kota Ibushi was also in that mat, uh, on that show, as was um, Michael Nakazawa, who uh, who Mayu pinned. So yeah, very weird show, but definitely one we're going to look at on Patreon at some point. Um, yeah, we open. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you can tell that you do that we're on the same wavelength because literally I had a question. I knew that they drew over three thousand. And my question was going to be, was this higher than the Budokan? 
show and then you without even me even asking the question you literally answered the question seconds before i asked it so what are the tag team we're making here there you go there you go well like the momo is no the alk not momo easy i don't want you turning on me and hitting me with a chair um no the all-star dream cinderella show drew 3318 so uh about 100 about 300 more something like that um but still a really respectable crowd that they've drawn in um we opened with a pre-show five-way match with Fukin death the queen of the five-way, defeating Wakasukiyama, Lady C, Rina, and Saki Kashima with the O'Connor roll in six minutes and 30 seconds. Um, Chris? Chris? No. Oh, wow. (gasps) You can tell he's he's sick, folks. (laughs) Oh, I'm... Genuinely, and no one's going to believe me, Chris has just messaged me, which is why I've just said Chris. Matt... What did you think? It's like that's equivalent to calling someone else's name in bed. That's ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> Matt, what did Yikes. you think of this? <laughs> uh, you know, if, if me and you were sitting there watching the sh- this show side by side, you literally would have told me about a dozen times. See, I told you. See, I told you because you destroyed me. Yeah. As far as tricks go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to kind, to be honest, to kind of allude to what you talked about earlier, and I don't like to be negative, especially when we're talking about a product we love so much. The feed for this was absolutely horrible. And this literally jumped around. It really didn't really get going for me until the uh, till the the third match, the Artists of Stardom uh, tag match. So this one kind of jumped all over for me. And I, from what I saw, it just seemed like there was a lot of chaos. And then I saw uh, Fook and Death with a roll up. But from what I saw and kind of going through clips that I was able to see, it was pretty good. If I'm going to put a star rating on it, I would give it two and a quarter. Again, that's not being a hundred percent fair because I didn't get a chance to go back and watch it. But uh, I thought, kind of thought, as the match was starting. I kind of, even though I did on our predictions last week, I picked Lady C. I kind of figured what happened on the 25th that Saki would get the win here. But uh, no, they. if I had two picks, those would be my two. And I was completely wrong and you were completely right. You never, ever vote against Vukin Death, especially not in these scenarios. She's always there with the O'Connor roll, that damn clown. Um, but yeah, it, it was fine. It was It was basically a handicap match with the numbers advantage ultimately paying dividends for a we the tie um we saw fucking death deliver some absolutely devastating nose pinches um and then there was a lot of newspaper based offense um i'll be honest you missed absolutely nothing matt so i wouldn't worry too much um we do move on to the first championship match though and as i've already said this is the one match that uh I had ruined for me. Uh, it was the Future of Stardom Championship match with Hannon defeating Ruaka uh, with the Hannon special in five minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, we also had Waka Sukiyama joining Stuart Fulton on English commentary uh, from here for the rest of the show. What do you think? How do you think she did, Matt? I think she did very well. I thought both of them did uh, did extremely well as far as you know, putting up the history, uh, Stuart, I talked about this person had this many matches and they did this. I thought he knew its history really well. And I thought that, uh, that Waka added, a- added a good little, uh, a little, uh, cherry on top to the commentary. I thought they did both did a very good job and added some stats that I didn't know. So I kind of, you know, so I was learning as well as uh, watching as well. And this match I thought was really good. I thought it was really solid. I know you're very big on Hannah. Um, obviously she looked really good here and she had a, she, Brand new outfit as well. So, uh, again, that's another thing. Stardom, we talk about starting leveling up their superstars. 
And obviously this was a, uh, you know, a big match and a, a big situation for both these ladies. And I thought that this match really delivered. Um, again, they weren't given a ton of time, obviously, because we knew the main event was going to go long. But I thought this was the perfect spot, perfect amount of time. And I thought this match was really solid. And uh, both these competitors worked really, really hard. It's not often that I will go an entire show and say that every match went the ideal length. But I don't think really, apart from maybe the special the 10th anniversary special tag. I don't think a single match went the wrong time. I think every single match went the correct amount of time, not too long, not too short. They were given time to breathe, which was more than could be said for the Budokan show where, you know, matches like Suri versus Konami didn't exactly go as long as we wanted. Um, Nene Takahashi versus Momo, I think only went 11 minutes. So this, most of the matches, the matches of importance, no disrespect to anyone else on the card, were given time to breathe. This didn't need longer than five minutes, to be perfectly honest. But I thought what they did with the five minutes, you know, Ruaka being the obvious powerhouse and Hannon being the baby face, the underdog baby face, which she plays very, very well. And, you know, you talked about Stuart and Wacker bringing in little nuggets of history. The fact that it was Ruwaka who defeated Hannon in a debut match in April, 2017 with the fisherman suplex, which Ruwaka kept trying to hit throughout this match. I thought that was a really interesting and really good story beat that they added. Um, but ultimately it was also really nice to see Sayurida who's still injured, but came to the ring with Mayu, with Hazuki, and embraced Hannon with genuine joy and emotion at having won. Yeah. Nice little rub. Nice little rub. And now it's like, you know, you kind of have a, a four, you know, the fourth member of Stars really, you know, not only with the belt, not only with the big win, you have the new outfit, and then you have, you know, pretty much all of Stars, you know, especially Mayu Itani basically coming out and basically, you know, giving her the thumbs up and the rub. Basically, what I'm understanding is like May was really taking Hana under her wing. So there's absolutely no way that she can't get uh, she can't, that she can't get better. So she, uh, she's obviously going to keep getting better in this situation. So I think she's going to be someone else to look out for in the next uh, 12 to 24 months. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be fair, her performances, her run in the tag league last year with Sayurida as Wingori was was really really good, and I think. She's had a fairly intermittent year this year through injuries and obviously with school, um, but she's continued to grow. And I think once she's done with school, um, I think we're going to see a huge sort of trajectory for her, which is which is great. Um, but yeah, an overall solid match. Couldn't ask any more of it. I also like the fact that even though Ruaka is part of the heel faction, Hannon's part of the, you know, the stereotypical face faction. They both embraced at the end of the match because there was and there is history between the pair, even if Ruaka shoves her off before she leaves with Saki. Um, we then moved on to the second match on the main card, which was the Artist of Stardom Championship match between the team of Donna Del Mondo, Mike Himika and Natsupoy, the champions, defeating the Cosmic Angels team of Yunagi Sayaka, Mina Shirakawa and Mei Sakurai with the Mishinoku Driver 2 in 13 minutes and 23 seconds. Um, Matt, opinion. When you're looking at this card, anytime you look at a match on paper and you think about it for a moment, you kind of have an idea of what to expect. This match, out of all the matches on the card, exceeded my expectations. I'm Obviously, I'm not saying it's the best because you have certain expectations for certain matches. But I thought this would be like a nice, solid three, three and a quarter star match. If I was rating this, I'd give this uh, three and three fourth stars. I thought it, like I said, exceeded expectations. 
obviously the if the cosmic angels and I think me and you text about it and the wee hours of the morning here in the states they clearly won the dance off as predicted. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh and we 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 kind of been, you know, not purposely but we kind of bag a little bit on May and uh just saying she just kind of seems wooden. She kind of seems she doesn't fit. Obviously year in climax she looked good here again new outfit. New outfit. Uh she looked I thought she looked great in the ring. She looked terrific in the ring, and the, the DDM team of uh, Natsupoy, Mike, and Himika, obviously, they've been teasing there was cracks you know, in that group for a while now, and it seemed like on the uh, when they did the, the six-man unit tournament, it seemed like that, um, that Himika was almost like the MVP of the first match against Team Marvelous. It seemed like Natsupoy was the MVP of the latter match. She got wound up getting the briefcase and getting the win. And Micah seemed like she was the MVP of this match. Hence, the finish of the match was her giving the Mijinoka driver number two to the entire Cosmic Angels team. I was like, boy, if we're not, if that's not star making power, I don't know what is. But uh, I think this is really good. And um, yeah, uh, again, this is I I always write in notes when it comes to these uh, six person tag matches that there's a singles match that branches out. And uh, it's another Unagi match. I really would like to see Unagi and Natsupoy in a nice 10 or 12 minute match. That's a match that I would really like to see somewhere down the line. But I think that uh, the three of them, and they did a good job. I know I'm jumping all around here, but they did a good job before the match. They showed the package where uh, the DDM team went to like a waterfall to be like cleansed. And I was like, <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cool because they were as much as like, you know, they've been missing or misfire. Obviously, you know, it's, it, it's, it's what they want to do. They want to show this cracks in the story. So they go to like the waterfall and they're cleansed and they're back together and there was no cracks in, in the, the champs in this match. They worked better than maybe ever. Uh, and I thought that that was a cool little thing they showed in the beginning that, <laughs> that <laughs> hey, we're here. This is what we're doing. We're going to be stronger than ever as a team. And then they show the match and, you know, 15 minutes later, you're just like, yeah, this was this was probably their best outing. They The three of them looked absolutely great. And I'm excited to see what they're going to do with the artist stardom belts uh, with a, with the with them. I like to see some. Obviously, we're going to see a lot more defenses with them, and there's so much more uh, that they can do. So I'm excited to see what they're going to have, what they're going to do from there on out. It, completely agree with you. Talking about Unagi, she she seems to be the de facto number two in Cosmic Angels at the moment, and she does feel, especially in this match here, when Tam's not there, she's the linchpin of the Cosmic Angels team. Um, you know, as she becomes more consistent in ring, that's obviously going to be, you know, more and more obvious. Um, as artist of Sovereign Championship Battles go, for me, it's not the most exciting of the year, but it's solid enough. Um, and, you know, in a year where the belts have felt considerably more important than they've done in many prior years. Um, you talked about the the intro video package. I've got a feeling that was supposed to be a little bit more serious than it actually came across. But obviously, you put Natsupoy under a waterfall, she's going to scream. So um, I think it was probably a little bit... Uh, I think it was supposed to be a little bit more serious than the three of them giggling, but there we are. Um, I like the idea of them washing away that sort of... Uh, the animosity that they had towards each other. Speaking of Micah, I mean, has there been a more decisive closing stretch than someone being hit with three successive Mishinoku drivers, literally every person on the opposition team, and then sitting into an arrogant pin? It was just, it was so emphatic. Um, and this, you know, she recorded a 50th overall win of the calendar year in the process, and she's only the second person on the roster behind Suri to achieve that milestone. So that's quite an achievement in itself, and obviously, again, puts puts some uh, perspective onto how much they uh, they value Micah on the Stardom roster. 
Moving yeah, on then. Nothing. Oh, sorry. Go on. No. No, I was just gonna agree with you. Yeah, nothing but up, but up for here. Like really, the, the cherry on top with the three Mijinoka drivers. So, yep. Something we should mention then was that a video package aired um, to say basically that Stardom are going to be running Sumo Hall for two nights next year on the 26th and 27th of March with shows called Stardom World Climax 2022. So two huge shows. Um, And considering, as I've already said, this show drew 3,039 spectators, which under coronavirus measures apparently is a full house according to their website whether it actually is or not i don't know but that's a huge step for stardom to not only run in one calendar year sumo hall and budokan but to then run two nights at sumo hall back to back is it's an astonishing statistic for stardom and it's testament to the year that they've had this year so those two shows i am extremely excited about and the prospect of what red belt match tops those cards it gets me very 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 excited and who knows we speak about it every single time we have big shows but carrie hojo's out of contract what a time to debut it um, yes any anytime like i said put her under the momo mask if she comes out on the third of january and she's under one of those momo masks it could I, be Tony Storm. You know, Tony it, Storm just asked for a release. It could be Tony Storm. It could be Tony Storm. Hey, after watching her for the EO episode, I might be, uh, I'd be absolutely fine with that. Anyway, let's move on to the next match. Third on the card, the High Speed Championship three-way match. Starlight Kid, the champion, defeating Koguma and Azumi with the O'Connor roll in seven minutes and 56 seconds. Um... Good grief, Matt. This was quick. can't believe this is only seven minutes, but it's literally like, don't blink. Now, I mean, you know your stardom better than I do. I've probably seen maybe about a dozen of these high-speed uh, championship matches over this past year. Was this the best high-speed championship match of this year? Because what I saw, it clearly was. Um, I would say it's a close second there was a match between Natsupoy and Starlight Kid in late March that was also very 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 good um, but yeah this this runs a close second yeah and I think I even messaged you that when they were doing all those false pins there was a time where the timekeeper rang the bell I believe when Starlight Kid was uh pinning Koguma and I was like, well, and obviously the ref's like, no, that's the, the finish. And I was like, well, now I know the, what the finish is going to be. I originally thought Azumi was going to win, I think. And again, you you had Starlight Kid winning, but we uh, both knew that Koguma was eating the pinfall. <laughs> yeah. But it was like, yeah, yeah, you're going <laughs> to ring the bell when Starlight Kid pins Koguma, but not until not until I signal for the bell. But I was like, wow, <laughs> like these these near falls. And there was each of them probably had two or three where I was like, Oh, that's the finish. Oh, that's the finish. Oh, that's the finish. Where it was just like you're literally like don't blink. Where it was like this poor referee, man. This was this might have been a rib on their ref because he had to be so blown up at by the time that the final three count happened, just getting up and down, up and down. It was this match was absolutely insane. Yeah, it was seven minutes of nonstop action. And really from here on out, this car just builds. Every match, in my opinion, just kept getting a little bit better a little bit better, a little bit better. And it was very much like the last uh, few Wrestle Kingdoms, maybe the last five or six, where it was just like you kind of had your openers to warm up and you had some good matches. But the last four or five matches just build and build and build and build and just made the card completely better. Uh, but this was, yeah, this was this was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. I think to start with, they 
they struggled to sort of work out how they were going to all three of them be in this match and how where all three of them stood. Um, but once they'd done that opening sequence, that seemed to be an afterthought. There seemed to be so many moments where all three of them will be doing fantastic, pardon me, fantastic bit. Like, for example, um, there was a moment where uh, Kogama gets to Starlight on the top rope, hits her with a released German suplex from the top rope uh, with Starlight rotating in the air before she hits the mat. Kogama then dives in for the cover, but that's broken up by an Azumi diving double foot stomp. Then there's um, a bit where um, Starlight Kid gets Azumi in the leg hook suplex hits her, but then Starlight wriggles free and Azumi can't capitalize because Kaguma hits her with a diving body splash from out of nowhere. So they did a great job of incorporating three people into this match because this style of match is quick anyway with two people. To incorporate a third person in this must be extremely difficult, especially when you've only got seven minutes to go, right, we want you to do... Dirt, 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 and we want all three of you to look good in seven minutes. Off you go. Get it. And mission accomplished. Everybody looked good in the match. Mission accomplished. I mean, at Tokyo uh, Super Wars, Starlight Kid said that she wanted it to be the quickest high-speed match ever. And I think if this isn't, it's it's damn close. And like I said, once all three women found the feet in the opening exchange, we were left with a frantic match. Um, now... I might be in the minority, but I was a little bit disappointed when they announced this as a three-way rather than a straight-up Starlight versus Azumi rematch. But we both did. We both. We. We. we you know, when we talked about the uh, when they first set this match up, when Starlight Kid beat Koguma, I'm like, well, this doesn't make sense because the heel won. Why does she want a third person in it? We thought we were going to straight up Azumi Starlight Kid match. And we were both like, well, we're disappointed. We want to see it one-on-one, but it, it's going to be good. And I think we were both pleasantly surprised and happy we were wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kogama more than justified her spot in this match and also kept up easily with two of the quickest in the game. So having that, plus her taking the fall, means that we're destined for the one-on-one rematch between Kid and Azumi anyway. So it's a bonus. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm absolutely fine with that. And we're going to gloss over the fact that Starlight had slipped on one of the Tiger Fate kicks because it's the only thing she's done wrong all year. I think she's been she, absolutely tremendous. And she had a new jacket. She, she did jacket. have a brand new jacket. I mean, <laughs> Azumi's, what I loved about Azumi's is she's had a jacket before, but this one looks far more in keeping with the unity of Queen's Quest because it was so similar in style to the one by worn by Sire and Utami that, especially at the moment, the faction needs that unity, you know, after Momo's betrayal. So something as simple as a, you know, a ring jacket that's the same style, it does offer that unity to the faction. So I thought that was really nice, but it's not like it's another level at this point. The way she enters the arena, just oozing charisma, screams that she's destined for huge things like huge things, which no disrespect to the lineage of the high speed division, just transcend it. Yeah, and again, a lot of those the top tier performers in Olive Stardom. Obviously, we've gone back and watched a whole bunch of things. They have more than one finish. You know, she has a double arm bar submission. She's been using the double foot stomp, or you know, a lot this past fall. And that she can always roll you up with that Azumi sushi. So she has three different main things that she can beat you on. That uh, that just basically you know adds to uh, to her star level. You know, moving forward. And again, you alluded to before. She's what only eighteen. Yeah, crazy, absolutely crazy. I mean, the one thing really that I would say about Azumi, you know, I'm a huge fan of Azumi, always have been. 
the one thing I would say that stops her being, you mentioned that she's got three ways of beating you. There's no, there's no kill move. There's no nuclear op- nuclear option. So Starlight Kid has got the Black Tiger Pile Driver that she will bring out as like that kill move. And, and the Moonsault. And the Moonsault, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Whereas Azumi doesn't have that. She has the Azumi Sushi, which for the majority of matches is fine. You know, for your six-woman tags, for um, high-speed matches, the Azumi Sushi is fine. But if she is going to move above this division and move to, you know, going for the white belt, the SWA, and even the red belt, which, you know, that's where she's heading, she needs to have, you know, a big impact finisher as well. Like a like a pile driver or like a, you know, some sort of suplex that like maybe, you know, obviously, you know, Tam or Utami or something like that has. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I see your point of view there. And again, that's, you know, it's not like she, well, you only have these three moves, you can't add another one. So obviously I'm sure, I'm sure as time goes on, she will, she will figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. Just one thing. I meant to mention this in the Artist of Stardom Championship match. Now you mentioned, Matt, that you, one of your big spots when you're wrestling is the superplex. Now, something that I forgot to mention, I've just found it in my notes, because for some strange reason, I've done it on a different page. Um, Micah hits May Sakurai with a superplex. And obviously, you're supposed to take it on your back, aren't you? You're supposed to take it almost flat. But May's legs fold in. And I don't know if you noticed this, but she hit the ground. How she still has two working legs... I have got absolutely no idea because the way they fold in and she lands basically on top of them, like it was screaming ACL injury. I was like, how is she still walking? The only way she could do that, because like when I give it to somebody that they're kind of apprehensive, obviously if, they, if they're 100% not taking it, I, I don't do it. I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. But if they have any questions about it, I just tell them, hey, you know, you let me know when you're ready to go. And all you do is you tuck your chin because you really, all you're doing, well, and I kind of have your chin tucked for you, you're really just taking a back bump. So in order for you to get your legs underneath it, it's almost like you have to do it on purpose. So yeah, you know, I I, I didn't write that down in my notes, but now that you said it, I do remember it. That that was uh, that's just crazy. I don't know. Maybe just she swung her legs back too because she has long legs, or or there was the force. I I don't know because I don't know how you do that. Again, I've done that move well over a hundred times. And only one time did I ever get botched. I fell onto the cement floor with my opponent. But that's another story for another day. But usually, you know, 10 times out of 10, once we go, uh, you know, you're, you're pretty well safe. I mean, I pretty much have you. So I don't know really kind of who's at fault at that. I don't, I, you know, it's just, yeah, uh, I'm just glad that uh, she got up and she was okay. Because, yeah, that did look kind of horrendous. Like, I just don't know how you kind of mess that up taking it because it's a very simple move to kind of just all you're all you're really doing is you're just trusting the other person to, to go with them. You know, that's a staple of uh, of her offense. So, yeah, that was that was pretty wild. Um, yeah, I, I just remembered it. So anyway, um, moving on, we had a singles match next, which acted as Julia's return match and Konami's farewell match. And Julia defeated Konami with the glorious driver in 12 minutes and six seconds. Now, as if I wasn't miserable enough that Konami was taking, you know, a hiatus. It's not the Awida type Konami that comes to the ring. Instead, in stark contrast to the black she's been wearing for over a year, it's the white of Tokyo Cyber Squad Konami, which was the first tribute to Hanakamura. Now, to top that, then Julia then comes arriving 
where you know this huge flag sporting the phrase never end and according to wacker had everyone on the roster's signature as well as dreadlocks that were reminiscent of hannah's win of the 2019 five-star grand prix which konami was the finalist in and that was enough then konami just burst into silent tears and it's it's a really heartwarming moment and from there i was like well this is nice because like stuart fulton says they do share that hannah link but then the tributes keep coming and you know you've got um konami locking in the hydrangea you've got both women trying to hit the tiger lily and then julia succeeding um you've got so many little tributes to Hannah in this match that, I mean, it's going to be affectionately known as the Hannah Kimura tribute match. It just has to. It, it's so similar in that way, in my mind, to Chris Benoit and Bret Hart doing that match on Nitro for, um, and that's now of now being called the Owen Hart tribute match. But this, I mean, this is Konami's leaving match. And yet she has... <sighs> she's put forward somewhat. So we're talking about someone else because ultimately, and I've put this in my notes, she used her last match as a testament to others. I hope she doesn't spend too long away from the ring because the pop she's going to get when she returns is going to be brilliant. And like you mentioned, stardom are going to be incredibly hard pressed to keep her a heel. And I don't think I've ever seen Julia upset or really emotional to be perfectly honest. I mean, I know she was, crying at the um, hair versus hair match in Budokan, but here it seemed real emotion. And honestly, sometimes a wrestling result is irrelevant. This was the perfect tribute. Absolutely perfect. Yeah, I, I literally wrote on top of my notes for this match, this wind up becoming the official, unofficial, official Hanakamura tribute match. Um, everything, obviously, for the... <laughs> I text you and I wasn't sure how I didn't want to fully spoil it because I wasn't sure how far and along you were at the match, obviously with the streaming pausing. And that's happened so much with me over the years with the WWE network where I'd have a buddy of mine saying, how far are you on it? Because this is what, you know, something big happened. I'm like, ah, my stream is terrible. So I text you. I think I did my exact words. Oh, how about that uh, Konami entrance? And you said that you were you were only on the six uh, the the six lady tag match. I'm like, oh, I will say no more. Just text, <laughs> text, text me when you want to talk. And then I knew you weren't feeling well, so I was like, I might not hear from him for a day or two. But anywho, so uh, yeah, there was that. And not only you had uh, the teasing of the Jungle Buster, um, you had uh, Waka did a really good job. There was a point where Konami had Julia in uh, Hana's uh, final submission move, and I kind of didn't pick up on it just yet until uh, Waka said that's. That's Hana's. Uh, that's Hana's submission. And I think that might have even been the submission Hana beat Konami with at the final of the uh, five star. I, I don't know. I kind of have to go back and watch it. But yeah, there was. I thought this was great. Um, not only for the Hana Kimura, uh for the Hana tribute, but there was a lot of really good submission transitions in the beginning. That like Konami looked like she was dominating Julia early on, and then obviously Julia, you know, she mounted her comeback and hit the glorious driver for the win. So, again, but like how you said before, that this wasn't really even about the result. And it was a great match, don't get me wrong. But this was more of a kind of a, kind of a tribute, uh, tribute match in, in several different ways. So I thought this was terrific. And kind of, I don't know, this is kind of what I alluded to a little bit ago. As far as Julia and the two people under the Momo mask, I'm kind of just throwing this out there, kind of just a what if. Now, we've been talking about here the past couple of weeks, why is Konami really taking time off? 
Um, is it mental health? Is it something that she has an injury because she looks, you know, she looks in fantastic shape. She's having great matches. Like, what is she really taking time off for? Maybe it's just a swerve to throw everybody off the scent that the two of, and I'm just throwing this out there because nobody thought that Julia would be in charge of the people in the Momo mass. Obviously, this became way bigger than we thought. I'm just throwing this out there. What if the two people underneath the mask are Konami and Jungle Kiona and they restart Tokyo Cyber Squad with Julia as their leader? It would be, it would be a bold move to do a Hanakamura tribute match as your leaving match and then come back less than a week later. That that would take some balls. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think it would be well-received, if I'm perfectly honest. It, it's an idea. I think Jungle Kiona's done with the company. Uh, I'd be very surprised if Jungle comes back, you know, especially in the immediate future. Um, but... I think Tokyo Cyber Squad, you know, the memory of Hannah endures with that. I think even though it will be done with Hannah at its heart and, you know, in testimony and in memory, I think, you know, leave it now. I think I I personally, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I know that Konami said that she's leaving for personal reasons. It wouldn't surprise me if a lot of that is to do with the mental toll of losing Hannah and the way they lost Hannah. Um, but we'll see. Because she took no time off. Jungle took time off, whereas Konami didn't. So I never had time to process it. Yeah, I just I literally just thought about that this morning as I was coming home from the gym and I was like, what more can they possibly do? And I'm like, I don't think it's gonna happen, but I'm like, I got a podcast, you know, to uh media to throw it out there, so I'm just gonna throw it out there. Yeah, why not? I mean, if this happens, like you could take the biggest of victory laps. Um, but I, I, I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think it's gonna happen. I'm not putting any money on it, but I'm like I don't know. We again, we have said so many different theories of who's under the mask, or it's just like I'm just going to throw this one out there as well. It doesn't cost anything, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Um, so then, obviously, we had all the stuff post match. Um, but honestly, such a raw passion, passionate and meaningful match. I, I can't fault it. I thought I thought it was a perfect send off, and the fact that they used it to to work with um Hannah's memory perfect chef's kiss um we then move on to a 10th anniversary special tag match uh with the team of Takumi Roha and Mayu Iwatani defeating the team of Hazuki and Momo Watanabe in 15 minutes and 36 seconds with Mayu pinning Hazuki after a moonsault um yeah, so, mm, Matt, yes. this was this was a strange match. The psychology was weird, and we even kind of said going into it that they kind of should have just flipped it to the Stars team versus Momo and Takumi. However, from a straight wrestling standpoint, for I, I like in wrestling, it started off with Momo and Takumi just kicking the, uh, the, the daylights out of each other. I'm like, well, that's one good way to, to get the match started. <laughs> Uh, I've seen a lot of people kind of, kind of were scratching their heads at this. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a good match. Obviously, again, Momo not only did she not get the pin, but her team lost. Uh, a, a lot of it has to do with her doing. So again, we're kind of scratching our heads and saying it's almost like wh- why are we turning Momo heel if there's two? She's had two matches, and uh, we're gonna kind of you know take her away from Queen's Quest. That literally the group that she's 
kind of you know, pretty much starting with Io Shirai, and we're going to turn her heel in these first two matches that she kind of needs a win to put more steam on it. She she doesn't get the win. So I was, I was a little confused there. I think as well, it, you hit the nail on the head there by saying the match itself is great. Like, you can't fall. You put these four women in a ring and you're going to have magic. And to be perfectly honest, I think Momo looks far more... I mean, I said it before, but the difference in charisma in Momo is outstanding. In two weeks, she's gone from being a fantastic in-ring competitor, but nothing else, to swaggering around the ring like she owns it, grinning satanically as she inflicts pain. It's like night and day. Um, it, I suppose it's amazing what a bit of black hair dyes does for you, but she looks really, really good. And for three quarters of this match, this was looking to be a tag match of the year contender. And even, you know, all the history that goes into it. I mean, we had Mayu defeating Iroa for the World of Stardom Championship back in, uh, I think it was early November 2020. And she said, right, well, let's let's tag together. Um, and she's tagged with Iroa before as part of High Seagun. High Seagun? High Seagun. As a team with Io, uh, where they won the Artist of Stardom Championships together, Hazuki and Momo were in the initial Queen's Quest stable. Iroha beat Momo in Momo's debut match. The links are there between all the competitors, so you could have done something with that as well. And certainly between Momo and Iroha, I think they were sort of going that way. But then Momo attacks Hazuki and leaves. And His kicks her straight up in the head. Yeah, <laughs> like, proper, proper belts are one, which is like, holy shit, like proper kicked her in the head. Um, Why owe you money or something? Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, but it was never explained. Like, I wouldn't mind, but it wasn't very well explained at all. And obviously the English commentary team didn't know what was going on either. And it was a case of, are we to... Assume that it's part of the Oedetai reign of chaos, that they just enjoy messing things up because that's all well and good, but what's the motivation? Why attack Hazuki? To, and you mentioned to maybe trick Mayu into beating up her own stablemate, but she was doing that already. They were on different teams. I mean, surely Momo has quite enough on her plate with the faction she's already betrayed without starting other fights. And the angle felt like it fell a little bit flat. The crowd were completely silent. And I don't think it was because they were engaged in the angle. I think it was more of a case of why though? Why? I don't understand. I mean, she calls Suzuki an idiot. And obviously that's going to lead to a prominent Momo and Azuki singles match, which I am all for. But I just, if this is going to go back to the Oida Tai sort of mantra of, we're going to get DQ'd because we want to cause chaos that led them to being one of the most tired and boring things about stardom in the early part of this year. I don't want it. And I especially don't want it for Momo. If this has an actual reason to happen, then I'm then I'll reserve judgment. But for me in the yeah. moment, this angle disappointed. Yeah. Again, uh, we're hoping we're wrong. We're hoping we're wrong because Literally last week, we planned out there was five or six different ways that they could have gone with Momo, and it's like each way is gold. Like each way is gold, and it's like, why are and and we'll talk about it more when we talk about the main event, but in the result of the main event, but like, why why are we turning their heel? Like it's again, we're only a few weeks into this, and we'll see how this plays out. You know, uh, you know, long long storytelling, 
but it was it was confusing. But again, this match was really good. Um, obviously, I talked about the stiff exchange between Momo and Takumi Roja. I thought that it was really cool that Mayu and Takumi tried to do dual running threes on a Hazuki and Momo. I thought, if you look at this match on paper when you first started, the most interesting person in the match is Momo, for obvious reasons, because of the heel, you know, the heel, uh, the heel turn. And then Mayu is obviously always one of the most inter- interesting people in the matches because it's May- uh, Mayu. And then Takumi, because you're bringing in an outsider that's been there before that always steals the show. So to me, if you're looking at this paper, like, Hazuki's kind of like the least important person in the match. But I thought she looked the best. I thought she looked like a huge star here. And I know that I'm big on her, and I know you're really big on her. It just seems like, yeah, these past, especially well, she's, since she's been back, but since they gave her purpose in stars, that she's really been firing on all cylinders. And even though she ate that brutal head kick from Momo, and then she took the you know the running three from Takumi into the moonsault from Mayo, which was the uh, which was the finish. I thought out of the four, as far as in ring goes, I thought she looked the best. And again, you know, this obviously is going to lead to a Momo Hazuki match. So it's like, even though we're confused on what they're going with Momo, it's like, well, you're you're getting a Momo Hazuki match out of it. It's like, well. All right, sure. Okay, I'll take it. Absolutely. That's that's the positive to come out of it. I mean, especially if that's going to be on the um, the 11th anniversary show. Hazuki, yeah, yeah, definitely. The whole closing sequence of her firing up against the odds, you know, refusing to lie down against two of the, you know, the best strikers in Stardom, two of the best wrestlers. It's it's building her, isn't it? It's like a huge baby face. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see her with a big towel belt next year either. Um but yeah, I just wish, like, maybe it's a whole, you can't trust me anymore, you know. But then again, we we know that because she betrayed Queen's Quest. So, you know, I know she'd made a lot of noise um, prior about not wanting to tag with Hazuki. Um, but, you know, or well, whether it's a whole, I'm leaving my past behind. So she's left Queen's Quest and now she's left Hazuki, you know, who she was in Queen's Quest with initially. Maybe it's something to do with that. I don't know. I'm spitballing, but I just want a little bit of clarity. Just just a smidgen of clarity. Um Yeah. Well and we'll we'll see what happens. It's again, it's we we kinda thought we had this licked out. It's just like, boy, we're I think just about everybody was wrong. But uh but I do have to ask now I'm gonna ask you a question there, sir, and I know the answer. Who did Mayu team up with at this last uh, goddess of uh stardom tag league? Um, as in the one that's just happened. Yes, uh, Ring Karakura, and she represents what company? Marvelous. Yes, and who did Mayu team up with at this show? Uh, Takumi Aroha. Yeah, I'm doing some hopeful foreshadowing where maybe <laughs> those two will be the team at the Goddess of Stardom Tag Tournament, which I think would be uh, absolutely fantastic. So, again, just throwing some more uh, some more hopeful stuff for 2022. It's been an interesting year for Mayu, to be fair, because she's she's had some high-profile matches, like her match with Yoshiko at um, at Budokan was a great match, and many people's match of the year contender. Um, but she's not been prominent, really, in the title scene. Like She hasn't gone for the red belt again. Obviously, Yutami beat her floor in November last year. She's had one white belt match. She's gone for the tag belts twice, and then she's really been in the artist scene and in those Oida tie battles in the early part of the year. So it's been a relatively quiet year for Mayu. So next year will be, it'll be interesting to see if she does continue to take that backseat. Obviously, you know, there was um, stories coming out that her and Tam have got two years left before they retire, um, which from a purely selfish standpoint, I hope that's not true, but obviously from a medical standpoint, 
I don't know how long Mayu's next got. Um, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually forgot to write this down because I thought I would have remembered, but you triggered something. Mayu's, obviously, we had the translation from the English team. Did you get uh, Mayu's post, post-match promo? At least the, the nuts and bolts of it. I didn't. I didn't. She said in, she said in 2022, as soon as 2022 starts, she is making her number one focus going after the red belt. There you go. I spe- that makes perfect sense as well when you consider the result of the red belt match because that can that completes that circle for well again i don't know why i'm saying spoil we're reviewing the show if you <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast you've seen the show um, you assholes <laughs> yeah <laughs> you dick. there's no point watching it now uh, obviously with shuri taking the belt on the main event and mayu being the first person to defeat her for the red belt you know and sort of start this spiral of wanting to complete this legacy it makes sense for shuri to then beat mayu yeah maybe you- the anniversary show Maybe, maybe she'll be the first challenger. Um, it'll certainly be interesting to see where they go there. Because correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Rob, Avers- Mayu's last sniff of the red belt was, or her last match was when Utami beat her. Correct? She hasn't had a match for the red belt since then. Has been nowhere near the red belt scene since Sendai Cinderella 2020, which I believe was the 15th of November 2020. Yeah, so over a year. So it's over a year. You literally have, you, it, to me, it doesn't matter who's on top of the card. She's the icon. She's the ace. You can always put her in the main event. It's going to draw, and you're going to have a great match regardless. So now it's like, well, she kind of threw that promo out there where it's like, you know, I'm going to put my focus on it, and maybe that's where they go for the anniversary show, which is usually what the tip, typically it's usually what the end of January? 17th or roundabout. So third, fourth week of January. Okay. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, we, we're talking about where Momo's going to go, and we talked about, obviously, I know that we're going to get into the main event shortly, but what her storyline would be if Utami was to remain champion, which I think both of us predicted she would be, um, which yeah, is why we... We were, pretty, we were pretty certain of it. We said as the weeks kept going, and then especially with the heel turn, that we were closer to closer to 100% that Utami was going to retain. That's why it was like, oh, that's a great match, but... Now, now, where do we go with Momo? Because that's I thought that's exactly where where this was headed, and it was in a head to quick. However, you look at the history, especially the recent history that Momo and Suri have. You know, Suri pretty much embarrassed her for the SWA belt in January. Obviously, Suri was the person to beat Momo in the uh, five star final. So, you know, it could come full circle, and you could see Momo take the belt off Suri. I mean. For me, it doesn't have quite the impact of taking the belt off Utami, but agreed. Agreed. And the bigger draw, the bigger draw. It's personal issues. It's Utami is now the leader of Queen's Quest. Momo was the former leader. She turned her back on the faction. The bigger story. I get the match may be better, probably be better with Momo and Siri. But as far as you know, a business standpoint, the biggest match they can do in the early part of uh, 2022, and we talked about last week, is Utami and Momo, and they can still do a singles match, but it would mean. So much more if the title was on the line and Momo unseated, uh, you know, the 400-plus day champion, uh, Utami, for the belt. So, yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens indeed. Um, we'll move on then to the Wonder of Stardom Championship match with Saya Kamatani defeating Tam Nakano, ending her reign and becoming the 16th Wonder of Stardom champion with the Phoenix Splash in 21 minutes and 59 seconds. Um, this was brilliant, Matt. This was fantastic. Yeah, um, as far as I've seen just about every white belt match from this year, obviously the highest profiled one was Tam and Julie, just because of the story, 
that was built around it. And it was fantastic in the ring and it main event at Budokan. But as far as just bell to bell goes, I think this was the best white belt match of the year. Uh, would I be far off by uh, by saying that? I completely agree with you. I yeah, this was. And I think this, this was Sia, This I think this was Saya's best match ever, and probably Cam's best match since the white belt match with Arissa. That's how much I enjoyed this match. This they could end the show here, and I would have been like, "This is on par for top five, not just Stardom show, but for professional wrestling show of the year." I thought. I mean, these two just went all out. They started out. I mean, I'm just gonna go through my notes. That's uh, fine, you man. Mind. You go for it. Yes. Sorry, sorry. I'm 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 wound up. I'm ready to go. <laughs> it started off. Yeah, it started off with some really really good chain wrestling, and then Sai hit that plancha onto the outside. And when Tam hit, she basically almost like dribbled her head off the cement part of the uh, of the floor and it seemed like it took her a long time to get up and then you would see people from queen's quest and cosmic angels and the ref kept checking on tam I'm like oh no poor tam poor tam is she <laughs> is she hurt oh it's like he's this poor girl between slipping on her shirt and the dance and almost breaking her neck with that tag match where she teamed with your tommy i'm like is this match gonna end before it really even gets going uh she eventually gets back up um she uh she eats the the rana from the apron then there was the top row for verse Rana. And then Saya did that really cool schoolboy where Tam kicked out, but Saya held on. And then she gave her like a schoolboy suplex, which I thought was awesome. Mm. I haven't seen that in a long time. Um, Saya hit the top rope reverse Rana, which only got a two count. And then, and I'm a big fan of once you go, once you hit one move that you think is going to finish and then you go to your other move. Uh, so it looked like she was going to go up for the Phoenix splash. Tam cuts her off and hits her with a top rope tiger suplex. <laughs> and then she hits the violent screwdriver, and then she gets the twilight. This is my only nitpick about the match. She hits the twilight. She hits the violent screwdriver after she hits the top rope. Now here's the sequence of moves. I lo- I love big moves one followed up after another. It's why I love Eo's matches so much. So she hits the top rope, um, top rope tiger suplex, and then she hits the violent screwdriver, and then she goes for the twilight dream. And the only thing is, Saya gets to the ropes, which keeps the move strong but she got into the ropes before the even one count happened. I thought it would have been so much, it would have been such a pop and such a like, oh, moment. If she was one, two, and then Sai was able to kind of maybe throw her body weight back just a little bit, like two and a half, and her top toe, her toe touches just the rope. Uh, that's my only uh, negative about the match. And then she goes to hit the um, the violent shooting, and Saya jumps up and double stomps Tam in midair. Oh, like that's some Matrix style stuff right there. Uh, Saya hits the Star Crusher for only a two count, and then she goes right to her bread and butter, hits a perfect Hayabusa style Phoenix Splash, and one, two, three, this match was over. This was absolutely fantastic, a damn near perfect match. Saya's best match ever. Uh, again, Tam's best match since probably the Arisa match, and the best white belt match I've seen all year. This was, boy, this was something. Honestly, couldn't agree more. <laughs> I know we've agreed a lot on this uh, on this podcast episode, but honestly, how can you not? This this match had every. I mean, the last time these two faced off, which was in Yokohama in July, they had what was a divisive match. Like some, I saw some people say that they loved it. I saw some people say that they hated it, and it's the worst match of Tam's reign. It was divisive either way. This match had everything that that match didn't it didn't claim to be anything it wasn't the storyline was more fleshed out than it was at Yokohama and I think a lot of that match was hurt hurt by the build for the fact that Sai was injured in the build um but here just just everything I loved 
this match. It was so close to me to being a perfect match, but the fact that the entire thing that Tam has been talking about has been embracing that ugly side. And, you know, Tam has been willing to do absolutely anything and everything to ensure that she keeps the white belt, you know, to embrace that dirty side, whereas that's something she isn't sure the flashy and acrobatic sire can actually do. Um, and then we get to the actual meet and veg of the match, and Tam is being really disrespectful. Not only disrespectful, but completely dismissive of Sire. Working Sire's neck repeatedly, relentlessly, but doing it in such an arrogant way that it fires Sire up. You can see Sire early on. She gets pinned, kicks out at one, and starts banging the mat, angry at herself for not having the foothold in the match, but then anger at Tam for consistently belittling and not taking herself seriously. You know, it's the most important match in her career, and she wants Tam to take her seriously, wants to prove to Tam that, you know what? I am more than just acrobatics and unique moves, okay? This is what I'm about. And then you you mentioned that closing stretch. Holy shit, they threw everything at each other. That roll-through from the roll-up into that suplex was absolutely magnificent. I absolutely loved that. And I've got to disagree with you. I loved that passage with the Twilight Dream. I can completely see your point of view, but I honestly, with it being not Sire consciously breaking the count, it was ah, just luck. I see. Yes. That, so almost, you can say, kind of Tim in the back of her head, she kind of screwed herself. Exactly. Oh, exactly. I like that. Give this bit, let this man book. <laughs> it was, it was just really, really well orchestrated. And at no point did there feel like there was any sort of downtime. I think this went 21 minutes, which was, you know, it was only a minute shorter than their previous match, but everything from that poison runner, the reverse Frankensteiner off the top rope, um, just everything in this match worked beautifully and yeah the, ti- the time yeah not only were the moves great but like we're not getting into the little things that happened in between the moves but like the firing up the selling the facials from both of them they knew when to fire up and how to fire up and not go from you know one to a hundred it was just separate stages of building up and then again saya had to unload the toolbox to get the win i mean this was i mean i can't say enough good things about this match no, agreed. And the fact that Saya had to find that part deep inside her to become the person that Tam wanted to ultimately take the belt from her. Perfect, perfect storytelling, perfect um, arc of Saya's redemption. They've done a perfect job of it. And, you know, I was one of the people initially who was quite negative about their previous match. And I, st- I stand by what I said. Um, you know, it... it it does get better when you rewatch it, but ultimately this knocks it out of the park. You know, this could be two different competitors. Um, ultimately, Tam asks for the belt so she can put it around the waist of the person she's mentored. Finally proud, like I say, that Saya could be that person that dug deep, embraced the ugly bit to take the belt. Um, and the pair embracing the ring, it's a lovely moment that's then ruined by Yunagi coming in. Um, which your, your your girl, my girl. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, not happy about this, Matt. Can you tell? Um, here and Sire exchange pleasantries. Um, before Sayaka ultimately lays down a challenge, Kamatani tells her to read the room because she's only just won the belt. Um, 
Sayaka basically wishes a new year and then attempts to leave the ring, uh, forgetting to pick up Tam on the way, who, which is why she was in the ring in the first place. And so Tam's got Whoops. her arms out towards her. <laughs> and she sort of has to double back and pick her up. Which, you know, uh, what if that was by design? Just because like, she's so quirky. She's almost like May you Light when it comes she to is, that. Uh, that yeah. is, she she really is, is. She is very, very much <laughs> in that sort of build. Um, <laughs> but it makes everyone laugh, including Tam which she does well to hide as she's rolling out. But um, post-match, Saya accepts Unagi's challenge, or seemingly so, and says that she is stardom. And uh, we saw fade to black on this match. What do you think about Unagi being the next challenger then, Matt? Again, I thought it would be Saki, just because of you know what we talked about about an hour ago. Uh, and on last week's podcast, she, she pinned Saya at the Captain's Fall match. She got the win in that uh, the six-person on... Uh, year in climax on Christmas Day, which nobody saw. So I figured, again, when I was like, well, that doesn't make sense, but if they're building her up to be the first challenger for Saya, okay. But, I mean, maybe she could be the second, or maybe she is the first, and then Yunagi comes out again, and, and she challenges. But she just had she just had uh, a title shot on Tam, against Tam, not that long ago, and lost. And even all these other matches she's had in between them, she, really, she hasn't won. And these six-person tag matches, you know, she hasn't won. She the the special tag match, special Konami series tag match. She didn't win that match, so I'm all about like, okay, we're supposed to look at this kind of kayfabe where it's just like, okay, we know it's a work, but let's not insult everybody's intelligence. In order for you to get a title shot, whether it's in boxing or you know MMA, UFC, or whatever, you have to have a string of wins. So she doesn't have any wins. So how is she getting a title shot? Again, I know the match will be great, and I'd love to watch it, but let's build her back up. Maybe if you get her three or four big wins and then she gets the title shot, sure. But I think the first title shot should go to Saki because that's kind of what they built up over the last three or four weeks. So I don't know. I'm Again, for how good the booking for Stardom has been for the last two years, it just seems like there's a couple things that are just really confusing. And this is that, that was to me was definitely one of them. I know that obviously, I don't know, I... She's the fact, not even the fact that we need to build her up again. She's just had a white belt match. She had a white belt match in November, on the 3rd of November in Kawasaki against Tam. It admittedly in one of her better matches, but even so, she lost. And she hasn't won a great deal since to justify coming in for this challenge. And, you know, I highlighted and we were texting back and forth and I highlighted like, you know, Micah, yes, she's gone for the red belt, but surely this would be the perfect time to say, right, Saya, Micah, we've got history. I imagine they will do that further down the line uh, because these two share history. But, you know, Himika, where's Himika's challenge for the white belt been since, what, partway through the tag league last year? Um, Saki Kashima, yeah. exactly. She hasn't been for the white belt in God knows how long. Hasn't been for a singles belt since the SWA, and that was only as a fill-in for Konami. Um, you know, we could have Azumi, you know, have Queen's Quest, have Azuki, Kogama, all these people who haven't had a chance at the white belt, mainly because they're doing the other things. I understand yeah, that, but... Julia, Julia to get her belt back that she lost, you know, uh, the beginning part of last year. You know what? You could throw that in. That makes more sense. I'm not against you, Nagy. That that's not. I know it sounds like I am. That's not why. But this is this is the reason why so many people were so resistant to Nagy's push because it didn't feel organic. And what happened was, she started to win people round because she was improving in ring. She wasn't being forced down people's throats. And then again here, 
it seems like she is, which is in danger of undoing all the hard work she's done. Yeah, I was ready to say it's basically kind of you're going to keep doing this. You're going to you're going to turn her after the fans. You're going to turn her after the fans, and not only that, but that's going to make it harder for for Tam to build that to build build the Cosmic Angels back up again. No, so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I see your point. And then think that okay, maybe Unagi does go all the way in the Cinderella champion in the Cinderella tournament, which is a very real possibility. She goes all the way. She's going to go for the Y belt again. So. I don't know. I, I am not against Yunagi having a title shot at all. But the way she's getting this title shot doesn't feel right. There are people who deserve that. I would be more receptive to... Has, I think as well, you've got to think that whoever has this match with Saya is losing. And I suppose yeah. what they're thinking is, do you know what? If Yunagi has this match loses, who ultimately gives a shit? We've got loads of time to build her back up. However, if you throw someone like a Hazuki or a Mika in there, does it damage their credibility to lose again? So, well, I can understand I, I think, that. Yeah, you got to give her, I think you got it for her, for especially coming off this match, you got to give her a top-level opponent and a barn burner. And again, I know we were texting back and forth, what if they do this in MMA and boxing all the time? Tam just had a very, very successful long reign. And usually when you see somebody that has five or six successful title defenses in MMA or boxing, they get an automatic rematch. So what if her first title defense is a rematch against him and then they go to the, you know, Rossi loves the book. He goes to a draw. So this way it doesn't hurt Tam. You know, you just beat Tam. Let's not beat her again because I think ultimately I think she's going to be in the red belt picture going into 22. I don't know if she's going to win it, but I think that she'll get a couple cracks at it. But you go to a draw and then this way you can say, well, Saya wrestled. Tam twice in a matter of four weeks, five weeks, and Tam couldn't beat her in two matches. So, and Tam's been a main eventer for, you know, quite a while now. So even though the second match went to a draw, it kind of built Saya up a little bit more. But I just think that after this match, and that we're, I mean, you're going to crown her, crown her. She lets her two finishers back-to-back for the win on the biggest show, you know, one of the biggest shows of the year against a top-level talent like Tam. I think your first title defense, it needs to be another banger again. And I just, I just don't, I, I, the match will be great, but you know, I just, I think it needs to be like a main eventer. We'll see. We'll see. Obviously we haven't had the 17th anniversary announced yet. So we don't know if it's going to be at Corican or if it's going to be at a bigger show, or if they're going to use the one at the 29th of January, which I think is in Nagoya um, as, you know, the venue for that brand new show. So let me check that they haven't actually arranged it. I don't think they have. Um, no, it's New Year's Stars. Um, and then there are a few holding dates on the 15th and 16th. Um, they're at the Edian Arena Osaka 2 on the 23rd. And then there's Nagoya Supreme Fight 2022, which is the first big show of the year, which could that be the anniversary show? I don't know. If it isn't, they haven't announced it, and there's nothing booked in for the 17th as it stands. So we will see. We will see. Um, ultimately, though, we shouldn't get away from the fact we've we've danced around it quite a lot, but it was a fantastic match. Easily the match of Tam's reign, easily the match of Saya's career, um, and tops off what has been a phenomenal year for Saya Kamatani. I mean, let's not forget that she was putting the red belt match at Budokan 
many people expected it to be an all right match and she blew it out of the water. She won the Cinderella tournament. She was in the semi-main at Yokohama. She had an, ex- an exceptional run in the five-star. Um, and now she's won the white belt, beating her mentor for it. So as far as years go, Saya Kamatani's had top three year in the company here. And again, loads and loads of store being put in here by the Stardom Booking Committee. Rightfully so. Absolutely. I think they're getting, their re- I, they're, they're getting their return on their investment. Absolutely. We move on then to our main event, the much-anticipated World of Stardom rematch, the World of Stardom Championship and the SWA Undisputed World Women's Championship double match between Suri and Utami, with Suri defeating Utami finally with her brand-new move, the Vermilion World, in 36 minutes and 33 seconds. This main event is what has been built to seemingly since June. I mean, it's the rematch of the match that broke Dave Meltzer's coveted rating scale for the first time in Joshi history. Had everyone from ESPN to filthy Tom Lawler to Stephen Larson talking about it. It increased Stardom World subscriptions by 10% and almost single-handedly thrust the popularity of Stardom into the stratosphere. But more than that, these two, since that night in June, they seem to have been intrinsically linked from the moment they both stepped foot in the ring. I mean, Suri was indebted to Utami for winning Blue Block of the Five Star Grand Prix anyway, because the qualification was in Utami's hands. Utami wins, Utami goes through eliminating Suri. But she loses, sending Suri through and ultimately to victory against Momo. They have both held their respective titles for 409 days. Utami, nine successful title defences. If Suri wins this match, nine successful title defences. Okay, they drew in the five-star Grand Prix in their last meeting. There has been no definitive winner between these two all year. Even their title match went to a double KO with Utami retaining with champion's advantage. There has been nothing to divide these. And that is what added such a powerful punch to this match. And Jesus Christ, did they knock it out of the park, Matt? Yeah, they sure did. And upon my first viewing... I was, I can't even believe I'm going to say this. I'm going to wash my mouth out with soap like Ralphie in A Christmas Story for saying this. But my, upon my first viewing, I was kind of disappointed in this match. Now, part of it might have been because I got up a little bit before 2 a.m. here uh, in the States to start watching the show. And then about halfway through, I had to take it off my computer and put it on my phone because the stream was terrible. And I think this match was getting really getting going maybe around 6 a.m., and I must have dozed off because I was like, well, one, I didn't expect that result again because we talked about, you know, it's it's got to be everything's built around Momo. Everything's going to be built around Momo. So Utami has to win. So I didn't expect that result. But I thought the match was I thought the match was excellent on my first viewing. But but compared to, uh, you know, the, the, the double knockout match, I thought that match was way better. But as the day went on, I had people tweeting me and messaging me saying, you know, how great the match was. And it was on par. And I was like, I must have I must have missed something. So I went back and watched it later on that day. And yes, I must have dozed off because I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember that. I don't remember that transition. I don't remember that. Like, oh, why did this happen here? And like, everything made sense. You know, they started slow. They started with, you know, the chain wrestling and then the MMA ground stuff that Siri is so good at, and Siri's footwork. And uh, yeah, this was, I'm going to say I still like the double knockout match better. Not by much. I know... Uh, when I went to bed yesterday, I went to Cage Match just to see what was rated higher. And Cage Match actually had this match rated higher. Um, 
And again, hey, if, I, I can see that, but I like the double knockout match um, just a little bit better. How, how about you? Before we get into the nuts and bolts of it, what, what match did you like better? Mm. Oh, you can't do this to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's what we're here for. The people want to hear it. <laughs> I Look, I, I preferred this one. If, I, if I'm being okay. perfectly honest, sure. Sure. Um, one of the big things that me and Chris spoke about, I mean, I'm looking at the cage match now. The one from June was 9.47. The one from uh, the other day was 9.49. So they're on par. Um, and when I say I prefer one of them, it's it's by a minutiae. It's, it's literally just that I prefer this match. And it could be because it's the one I've watched most recently. Um but literally just literally just recently li- literally five minutes before we started recording <laughs> um and i don't know whether it's because me and chris when we talked about this show um back in june one of the big things that me and him disagreed on was what is this stipulation of if you don't win you can ask for some more time what is that going to do for the remainder of title shots and it's one of those things where I don't know. That sort of sullied my opinion of that match. Still think it's a five star match, um, but this because there was no time limit. Because ultimately, Suri has to because doing the same thing is yielding the same results. She has to bring out something new because we have this entire storyline, and they were plugging this storyline with her mother you know, to the point where if she lost this match, it would be incredibly harsh. They were sort of telegraphing the result with how much time they spent talking about Suri's mum. Maybe it's all those years of watching WWE programming that it's just like, oh, they can't lose. If it was, it would be terrible. Yeah. And that's what we're going to give you. It's a terrible thing. Not that I'm here to bury bury the top company (laughs) in the world. It's like, maybe that's where my mind was going, you know? Maybe, maybe. But this... The escalation, the roller coaster of emotions you go on just with Suri from starting as a cool, calm, focused, you know, for someone who was so emotive when they wrestle, there was no screaming, there was no facial expressions. She was doing her thing and then staring into Utami's soul, just looking at her clean break. She wants to win it in a clean way, you know, so she's doing it for a noble reason. She wants to fight nobly. And that sort of changes. The match wears on. Suri sort of foregoes any sort of emotional control and just screams to the heavens with every move. You know, you feel every passionate inch of Suri in every move she delivers to Yutami. And then, you know, I'm going to say again, one of the best sellers in the game is Yutami. And I, oh, don't, I abs- do absolutely. not care who oh, you throw goodness. at me. She is phenomenal she stands out as not just in the company in the world of wrestling as one of the greatest sellers the job she did with that left knee throughout this match is phenomenal because Suri targeted it at the start of the match then left it for a bit and then the moment she came back to it the agony on Utami's face for that figure four then for the white tiger absolutely tremendous and then the way just the subtle things like trying to sit out of one of the power bombs and having to move her left leg because she couldn't do it. Doing the German suplex, but not bridging with a left leg because it was too painful. And her leg is wrapped. Her leg is wrapped. It's a little subtle thing. It's like the bullseye is on there. You can tell her leg hurts. 
Siri's going after it. Why wouldn't she? And that just adds to the selling. She's selling her leg. Siri's kicking the shit out of it. Siri's good at the leg submissions and the and the striking and the, the leg kicks. And on top of that, Utami's leg is wrapped. And on top of that is, yeah, it, she is one of the best overall sellers in all of wrestling. And the emotion that you feel. There's a moment where um, Utami hits, I think it's the BT bomb. And she collapses across the ring from Siori because her leg gets And the away. ref is going, and the ref and the crowd's the ref's going, you got to cover, you got to cover. And she literally has to use her hands and knees and bear crawl. And be like, oh, it's too much time. It's too much time. What? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But then to add to the emotion, Siori doesn't kick out. You talked about, you know, getting hands and legs on the rope. Siori does it perfectly here. That move happens. Utami drags herself across the ring, lays one hand across Suri. One, two, Suri gets a hand on the rope. And there's a beautiful picture. And I really hope hope beyond hope that someone has taken a still of this. But Suri, uh, Utami staring at Suri with her eyes closed and her hand grasping the rope and just floods of tears because she is spent, exhausted, and just perfect. Absolutely perfect. The code breaker that Suri hits, and then Utami collapses on top of her for a pinfall. For the pin! For the pinfall attempt! I was like, holy jeez, that was genius! That was genius! Honestly, this match... It was fantastic. They would have... The pressure was on them to create a match as unique and as good as that first match. And rather than trying to do the same thing, they went a completely different direction. And I think the match is better for it. You don't want to try and emulate that first match. Bring in little aspects of it. That's absolutely fine. But don't try and emulate it. Do something different. And they did that here. There was no phenomenally huge spot where you're like, holy shit. But the work they did was true. I mean, don't get me wrong. There was an air raid crash off the apron where uh, Suri's legs crashed into the apron. And I was like, oh my God, well, that's it. She's lost both her legs. Jesus. The sound was awful. And then there was one moment where Suri literally had a double wrist lock on Utami and then did sort of launch them both into the center of the ring and transitioned it into a Kimura lock as they landed. I was like, how the fuck has she managed that? Like, honestly, yeah. how has that happened? From the top rope, too. It started from the, uh, I thought that was one of the coolest spots. I- I've been studying over this last year and change since we've been quarantined. I've been studying a lot of uh, catches, catch can wrestling. Uh, and the, the videos that I've been able to find are from your countryman, one Mr. Billy Robinson. And the bread and butter of the best catch wrestlers is the double wrist lock, which I've actually, uh, I've actually had some training and catch wrestling so i started using the double wrist lock in some of my matches so obviously i popped for huge the way that she got into it and then as utami's getting away she's like well i've been targeting the leg and then she transitions into the white tiger which is the move she's been winning a lot of matches especially the last four or five months and it's the psychology of the match to go after the leg and then another thing i thought that was great and i i, I you know the name of the hold the name of the move series she does the uh, misawa's emerald frozen uh what, what's her name for it uh the Ru- oh god the ruin i think it's called r-u-y-e-n yeah. yeah well you know the move so she's going for it towards the end 
Yutami gets out and then she goes to the rear naked choke, which is a bread and butter of hers, but she can't get it on all the way because she's only standing on one leg. I was like, that is so brilliant. This is the move that she beat Momo with to win the five star, her former stable mate. And in order for her to get this match, I need to get out of it. And then she, you know, I already have the neck. I use the rear naked choke, you know, to, to set up a lot of my finishers, but I can't get it on all the way because I only have one leg. Absolutely brilliant. Now that we're talking about this, I gotta, I, I have some run around I have to do after we get off the podcast. But when I come back home, I'm going to watch the double knockout match because now that we're talking about it, maybe I did like this match better. <laughs> <laughs> There's and, really no wrong answer. No. You know, whenever it says which one of the four Omega uh, Omega Okada matches do you like, everybody has. There's just no wrong answer, and I think that this is what this can be. I think that they can revisit this, you know, once or twice a year, like they've done in All Japan with Masawa and Kabashi and Masawa and Kawada, and like they've done over the past ten years or so with Okada and Tanahashi. Where it's just like, yeah, I know we see this once or twice a year, but it's great. It's like having steak, like three times a week for a month. It's like, you don't, I mean, if you like steak, I love steak. That's like saying, I'm not going to get sick of this. And if they were to give this to us once or twice a year, like Okada and Tanahashi, this may in the next five or six years, pending on obviously injuries and free agencies, this might be become one of, if not the greatest feud in the history of women's wrestling. I mean, just built on this trilogy of matches that they had this year. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day um, while I was in bed with COVID. Um, and I was that sounded like, so that sounded so dirty. It did, yeah. Well, I was in bed with COVID. <laughs> it's my husky voice. <laughs> um, I like, sound, sound like a phone sex line. Um, so yeah. you get it all. You get, you, you get it all here on the starting cast. We give, we give you what you want, whether you want it or not. <laughs> Again, that sounded dirty. Um, <laughs> forgot what to say. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> the um, best. And. Um, if that match between Suri and Utami on the 6th of June, on the 12th of June, sorry, hadn't have been as good, hadn't have been so universally praised, do you think we get that match again here? Do you think Suri wins the five-star? or do you I don't think, think the, so. So do you think, basically what I'm asking you, in your opinion, do you think this was always the plan? Or do you think they realized that they had got lightning in a bottle and they needed to use it? I think lightning in a bottle, not only that, but I think that uh, had she not gotten injured, I think Julia was going to win the five-star. And I thought they said, well, this is going to be plan B. And what a plan B it was. Obviously, they had a whole bunch of people that bought this pay-per-view. They had over 3,000 in the building. Uh, No special surprises. No, we're going to bring this person in from... I mean, obviously, you had Takumi from Marvelous, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Okari Sane's coming back, or, you know, Io Shirai's going to do a promo from, you know, WWE headquarters, and we're going to put it on the, the, the big TV, or whatever. But this was, I mean, this, this show was great from top to bottom, but it was all built around this match. So I think it was they had lightning in a bottle, and I think that this is something that they can revisit, again, once or twice a year. And I think because these two are so good and so creative, that you literally can have almost a different match, a little little tweaks here and there every time that they do it. I, again, I would not get sick of uh, if we were to see this match once or twice a year, but I think that's, I think you're right. I think that had they not hit it out of the park the way that they did, um, you know, back in back in June, I don't think this would have been the main event here. I really don't, and I don't think you would have had 
had as many, you know, find from a financial point, it wouldn't have been such a financial success if you didn't. They did a good job building to it. I think that they wanted to go with Julia versus Utami. Julia gets hurt. Well, let's pivot to this match. And I think this was, you know, no disrespect to Julia, but this was a blessing in disguise because I, I know Utami and Julia would have had a hell of a match, but I don't think I, I can almost guarantee it would have been this good. Mm. Let's leave it there then. I mean, what a phenomenal show. What a way to end Stardom's Stardom's most successful year. Um, you know, they've run Budokan, they've run Sumo Hall. Um, they've put on a litany of absolutely astonishing matches. The five-star this year was tremendous. My last question to you, Matt, before we start plugging things, um, is this your favorite show of the year? Because I know you were really high on the five-star final, but does Stardom Dream Queendom? top it it's tough it's oh boy i'm gonna say just because of the emotion in the main event and maybe just because we just got done watching it i'm gonna say yes it's 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 close it's close definitely even in the world of pro wrestling it's definitely a top five show for me for me nothing's gonna beat all man just having my trainer come back to pro wrestling in chicago uh and the fact that the show was just so good that's definitely the show of the year but if you're asking probably like in top five i would put this slightly above the five star but five star would be in my overall top five shows of pro wrestling but mm-hmm. i think it's again maybe it's because it's just fresh in my mind but i think this slightly beats it again i mean flip of the coin which match was better this one or the june one what show is better the five star or uh or this one they're both a plus plus shows again it's like saying what's your favorite marvel mcu movie <laughs> there's really no wrong answer there really isn't no that's true that is true um unless you say the incredible hulk in which case you're wrong um <laughs> Overall, I think this is my show of the year. Um, it would, it would, it took a lot to beat Budokan for me, um, but this, I think, just the power of those final three matches was just incredible. And you talked about the emotion, having Shuri stand with the title and her trophy and just shout to the heavens, "Mom, I finally got the belt." I was done. I was done. I mean, and then Konami, Konami on Japanese commentary. Exactly. She goes, right over, she goes right over to her. How did we not predict that this was going to be the result? <laughs> they yeah, bought Konami out on commentary, for God's we're, sake. We're all about Momo. We're all about Momo. It's the Momo's heel turn, and they got to put the belt on her right away, like they did with Hogan in the NWO. <laughs> the only way that makes, and who knows, maybe they do an automatic rematch at the, uh, you know, maybe this is just a one and done. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe they do an automatic rematch just because she's had, Utami's had this legendary run where it's just like, well, we don't need to build it. We're going to do a rematch between Utami and Siri at the at the anniversary show, and then Utami gets the belt back. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Well, I mean, who, who, and, then the, and then the Momo storyline that we predicted comes into play. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where they go from here because they really don't have anybody directly set up for Sherry um, like the way they did with Utami. So I don't know where they go from here. But this match was absolutely incredible, and uh, it's going to rank high on a lot of people's match of the years list. Definitely, and what a wonderful transition, mate! You're getting the hang of this. Um, talking about match of the years, um, our Stardom Awards. By the time you are listening to this podcast, our Stardom Awards will be live. They'll be pinned to the top of our Twitter page, and you will be able to find them in our Discord and on Facebook as well. Same as last year, the categories are the same. So you've got the Stardom Wrestler of the Year. You've got the entire roster you can pick for, just in case you're a huge May Sakurai fan. Um, 
Um, we've then got Stardom Match of the Year. We've given you basically a load of options. If we haven't covered your option, there is an other option that you can click and then just write in your option there. That will be great. Same for Tag Team Match of the Year. Um, same with Show of the Year. Though we've pretty much covered all of the big shows there, including three nights of the five star. So if you can find another show that was great, write it down. Uh, most Improved, same deal. Click someone. Again, if you're a May Sakurai fan, stick it down. Why not? Um, Lady C, baby. Lady C all the way. Got a horrible <laughs> feeling that Lady C is going to come high up. Um, <laughs> we've also got Feud of the Year. We've got Julie versus Tam, Mayu versus Tam, Starlight versus Momo, Stars versus Cosmic Angels, Stars versus Sawida Tai, and then, of course, Utami versus Suri. Again, if you've got any others, then you can stick them down. Moment of the Year as well. Julie getting a head shave, Tazuki returning. Um, the Hanakamura tribute match slash Konami going on hiatus. Momo turning on Queen's Quest. Uidatai taking Starlight Kid. Uh, Stardom running Budokan Hall. Stardom running Sumo Hall. I mean, there are literally countless options, but if you haven't, or if we haven't catered to your option, then please click other, write in what you think it should be. And then the final category, the eighth category, is Faction of the Year. Now, I'm going to say that the polls will close on Saturday, the 8th of January. And that will give myself, well, me, enough time to tally up scores and put together our awards. And we'll reveal the winners on our episode on the 9th of January. Um, so, yeah, basically, go and check it out on Twitter. It's pinned to the top of our feed. And then go and check it out on our Discord if you're on our Discord. It's under the End of Year Awards Discord server. Final thing to plug, um, on the 1st of January, our Patreon goes live. I just wanted to give that a quick plug. Um, again, thank you to the people who have already um, sort of supported us on here without any benefits as of yet because they don't go up till um till January. Again, thank you to those people. Thank you to Niagara Driver. Thank you to um Joseph Usher and thank you to um oh shit, my computer's gone down. Ah, there we go. It's back up. And Rob Jones, all who've um pledged money, we really do appreciate it. If you are taking if you are going to um subscribe to our white belt tier or our red belt tier, you will get two brand new bonus episodes every month um every other wednesday i think it works out as our first episode is a complete retrospective of eo shirai's v14 run with the belt again incorporating all of those great mayu matches and the formation of queen's quest and then later on in the month we will also be doing a tam nakano versus orisa hashiki from stardom shining destiny 2019 really in-depth match review as well. I'm going to put a poll um, up for the February episode. So me and Matt will discuss basically four options. We'll put them on the Patreon. You can vote with which ones you want us to cover in February. Any money we truly, truly do appreciate. Um, thank you so much. Um, but until then, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can check us out on Twitter at The Stardom Cast. Go and check out our Facebook page at The Stardom Cast again. Um, if you can throw some money our way, we'd be very, very appreciative. Patreon.com forward slash The Stardom Cast. Check out the website www.podmania.co.uk. You can talk to me on Twitter at, at Real Rob Goodwin. Matt, where can they talk to you? 
Look for me on the Twitter and the Instagram. Just look for uh, Matt Turner OF. Uh, any questions, comments, anything that you want to hear on the podcast, you want to talk about this show or anything just in general, feel free to hit me up. I try to get back to everybody as quickly as I possibly can. And don't forget as well, you can join our Discord server. Just look in the uh, information on the podcast and you'll be able to click a link and join and talk to other people who like stardom as well. Thank you all for listening, guys. We truly do appreciate it. Make sure you have a very happy and safe new year and we shall talk to you guys again in 2022. See you guys again. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.